Welcome to our podcast. I am Linda Messer. My husband Ron and I invite you to join us in our weekly broadcast of A New Voice of Freedom. Welcome to podcast number 30. These podcasts all come from a series of four books I have written entitled In Defense of Christianity. The ebook, paperback, and audio can be accessed at ronaldmesser.com or on Amazon. Today's podcast is taken from the conclusion of Volume 1, Freedom. I call it one of the safety nets in the law of mercy. It is entitled, His Many Mansions. Jesus said to his disciples, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. All Christians perhaps dream of a mansion in heaven. It eludes some, however, that the materials for that mansion are selected by us on this earth. Because of the law of agency, Christ can only prepare a place compatible with the desires of our heart and the laws we live. Some who dream of mansions may have only materials for an RV. Getting to heaven is the goal of every good Christian. Few scriptures are more dramatic regarding the highway to heaven than the experience of Elijah the prophet, witnessed by Elisha. And it came to pass, as they still went on and talked, that, behold, there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire, and parted them both asunder. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. We all assume that heaven is where God lives. Daniel tells us, But there is a God in heaven that revealed the secrets. But where is that heaven, and what is it like? Following the baptism of Jesus by John in Jordan, we are told, And lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove, and lighting upon him. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Heaven is where God lives. In teaching us to pray, the Savior instructed us to pray after this manner. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Heaven is where we all hope to live one day. Jesus promises that those who follow him will have treasure in heaven. Heaven is the home of the resurrected Christ. Following Christ's resurrection, we are told, So then, after the Lord had spoken unto them, he was received up into heaven and sat on the right hand of God. Where God lives is considered a temple. King David tells us, The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. But perhaps the most hopeful of all is that those who sit on the right hand of God shall inherit a kingdom of glory in heaven. Christ said, Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come, ye blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Christ also said, I appoint unto you a kingdom, as my Father hath appointed unto me. We are told, however, that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. On the other hand, we are told, Hearken, my beloved brethren, hath not God chosen the poor of this world, rich in faith, and heirs of the kingdom which he hath promised to them that love him? Heaven is often confused with paradise. Christ said to the thief on the cross, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. But Christ did not ascend to heaven until three days later, after his resurrection. The paradise he was speaking of was the spirit world, where spirits go after they die to await the resurrection. 
Peter explains the paradox. Who shall give account to him that is ready to judge the quick and the dead? For for this cause was the gospel preached also to them that are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the Spirit. On the other hand, we have the remarkable vision of Paul in which paradise is used as a synonym of heaven. I knew a man in Christ above fourteen years ago, whether in the body I cannot tell, or whether out of the body I cannot tell, God knoweth. Such an one caught up in the third heaven, and I knew such a man, whether in the body or out of the body I cannot tell, God knoweth. How that he was caught up into paradise, and heard unspeakable words which it is not lawful for a man to utter. In addition, Christ reveals to John on the Isle of Patmos, that to him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. From the scripture above, we learn from Paul that heaven, sometimes referred to as paradise, has at least three levels. Paul talks about being caught up in the third heaven, which is the highest. Paul speaks about heaven more than any of the other apostles, for he clearly saw it in vision. And it is the vision of Paul about which I wish to speak. In our premortal existence in heaven, we were all spirits. In the book of Job, the Lord asked, Where wast thou when I laid the foundations of the earth? Declare, if thou hast understanding. Who hath laid the measures thereof, if thou knowest? Or who hath stretched the line upon it? Whereupon are the foundations thereof fastened? Or who laid the cornerstone thereof? When the morning stars sang together, and all the sons of God shouted for joy. When Elijah raises the son of the widow Zarephath to life, he cried unto the Lord and said, O Lord my God, I pray thee, let this child's soul come unto him again. God is the father of our spirits. In Numbers we are told that God is the God of the spirits of all flesh. Job said, But there is a spirit in man, and the inspiration of the Almighty giveth them understanding. It is the spirit, not the body, that gives us life. James, teaching us of faith, said, For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. And as quoted earlier, when we die, Peter informs us that our mortal body is buried, but our spirits go to the spirit world. For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit, by which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison. Paul further informs us, For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the spirit of man which is in him? Even so, the things of God knoweth no man, but the Spirit of God. Paul informs us that God is the Father of our spirits, meaning that we are his literal offspring. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? Being a child of God has enormous implications for our potential future. In a startling revelation, David tells us, I have said, Ye are God's and all of you are children of the Most High. Malachi adds, Have we not all one Father? Hath not one God created us? Paul answers Malachi's questions. We are the offspring of God. And finally, Paul adds, The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. 
And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. One of the primary reasons we came to earth was to gain a physical body. God is the creator of both our spirit body and our physical body. It is a great blessing to have a physical body. Paul tells us to glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Birth is the bringing together of the immortal spirit and the mortal body. Death is the separation of the immortal spirit from the mortal body. In Ecclesiastes we read, Then shall the dust return to the earth as it was, and the spirit shall return unto God who gave it. And the resurrection is the reuniting of the immortal spirit with an immortal body. My text shall come from 1 Corinthians 15. The primary theme of the chapter is the resurrection, a testament to the importance of the body. Husband, you are going to slow down, aren't you? You have buried us in scriptures in such rapid fire that we don't have time to come up for air. It is your job to keep me on track. Very well. What is the primary theme? Being glorified together is the theme of the podcast. In the resurrection, since all resurrected bodies are perfect, the only thing that will distinguish one resurrected body from another will be light or glory, and that is the subject of Paul in 1 Corinthians 15. Will you please read 1 Corinthians 15, 12 through 22? Now if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen? And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain, and our faith is also vain? Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he raised not up, if so be that the dead rise not. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised? And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain, ye are yet in your sins. Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. The resurrection proves that the physical body is extremely important, both here on earth and in the hereafter. I think we will all miss our bodies terribly when we die. We will probably long to be resurrected. The spirit and the body are perfectly fitted together. On the one hand, if there were no spirit, the body would have no life, no intelligence, no agency, and no free will. We would be automatons, biological robots of no more significance than an insect. As James said, the body without the spirit is dead. It is the spirit and not the body that has intelligence and free will. On the other hand, without a physical body, we would not have the freedom we have. The physical body gives flesh to our feelings. All the senses are enhanced because of the flesh. We see, hear, touch, taste, smell, and feel the joys of this earth. Without the body, we could not experience mortality and would not have the opposition necessary to gain wisdom from our experiences. Exactly what is the resurrection? The short answer is that we get our body back. However, one significant difference between a mortal body and a resurrected body is that the mortal body suffers death. The resurrected body does not. We will have our resurrected bodies forever. 
All the imperfections of the flesh will be removed. We won't lose even a hair of the head. You mean my husband will not be bald in heaven? Hey, I'm not bald. My hair is merely being redistributed to my ears. Besides, as the king said in the adventures of Huckleberry Finn, trouble has done it, Billswater. Trouble has done it. Trouble has brung these gray hairs in this premature balditude. But I won't look like this forever. In the resurrection, I will get every hair back. Thank you for reminding me. In the resurrection, there will be no premature balditude. No sickness, no death, no infirmities, no handicaps, no deficiencies, no impairments, no pain. The body will be perfect in all particulars. Why do we have to have such imperfections here on earth? It is the price of mortality. Without mortality, we could not comprehend or appreciate immortality. There will never be another experience like earth. God created us so that we could create ourselves. The children's writer, Lloyd Alexander, called us a great perhaps. We are now determining what we will be like forever. Every decision we make on this mortal earth determines who we shall become in the eternities. As you say so often, earth is the hinge upon which eternity swings. When man creates, he controls the end product. When God creates, he endows his creations with the power to become whatever it is they wish to become. He gives them agency. It is all about agency, isn't it? Everything is about agency. The Holy Scriptures are a guideline to eternal progression. We may choose to follow those guidelines or not. We may follow the enticements of God, which lead to liberty and eternal life, or we may follow the enticements of Satan, which lead to captivity and eternal damnation. What does it mean to be damned? Does it mean going to hell forever? When we think of damnation, we automatically think of hell. But really, it merely means a hindrance to our progression. You mean like damming up a river? Sort of. It is true that there is a hell where those who refuse to repent will be punished for their sins. But the only real damnation is the end of progression in an eternity of open-ended opportunity. All laws of God increase freedom. Freedom comes only through obedience to law. A mortal body is perfect for mortal earth, but only a resurrected immortal body can give us the freedom we need in heaven where there is no end to progression. You are saying that the more light and glory we have in the resurrection, the more freedom we will have. Yes, because light and glory mean an increase in power and intelligence. Imagine sitting idle for eternity. I can't sit idle for five minutes. For me, there is no greater description of hell than to have to sit idle for eternity. Well, in heaven, no one will be idle. But eternal progress will be limited by the laws that govern us and the light we have. In heaven, all kingdoms are governed by a complete set of laws. The higher the glory, the higher the laws. It is law that determines our progression. Paul introduces the doctrine of three heavens or three separate degrees of glory. Would you please read verses 40 through 41? There are also celestial bodies and bodies terrestrial, but the glory of the celestial is one, and the glory of the terrestrial is another. There is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars, for one star differeth from another star in glory. Would you explain what that means? It appears that the celestial kingdom is the third or highest heaven spoken of by Paul. The three kingdoms of glory are separated by light. The highest kingdom is compared in brightness to the sun. The next kingdom is compared in brightness to the moon. And the least kingdom is compared in brightness to the stars. 
Each kingdom will be ruled by separate sets of laws. The greater the kingdom, the greater the complete set of laws that govern it. If all resurrected bodies are perfect, light, glory, knowledge, and power can be the only distinguishing characteristics. Are you saying that light and glory are the same as knowledge and power? Light and glory translate to knowledge and power. The greater the light and glory, the greater the knowledge and power. The greater the knowledge and power, the greater the freedom. Paul uses light and glory to describe his vision of Christ to King Agrippa. At midday, O king, I saw in the way a light from heaven above the brightness of the sun, shining round about me and them which journeyed with me. And I said, Who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. In the transfiguration story, we are also told that Christ was transfigured before them, and his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as the light. John the Revelator, who also saw the resurrected Christ in vision, tells us, and his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. In Matthew thirteen forty three, Christ made the following startling statement. Then shall the righteous shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. Who hath ears to hear, let him hear. That means that all those who live with Christ will also shine brighter than the sun. Christ is speaking of those who live in the celestial kingdom with him. How else could you endure his presence? Only light can comprehend light. Okay, where do those who shine like the moon and like the stars go? Do they go to hell? The concept of either heaven or hell is misleading. There are an infinite variety of heavens, as mentioned by Paul, each defined by different degrees of light and glory. In other words, for one star differeth from another star in glory? We inherit the kingdoms of glory compatible with the laws we lived on earth. Then that is what the law of restoration means. Everything that we earn on earth will be restored to us. One cannot be happy in any other kingdom than the one compatible with their own light and glory. A lesser light would be overpowered by a greater light. To be happy, one must seek his own. To live constantly in the presence of God, where everyone else shone brighter than the sun, anyone of lesser light would be acutely reminded of their unworthiness or inadequacies. One will be happier in a kingdom compatible with the light they have, rather than living in blind obscurity for eternity. Please read verses 42 through 44. Notice how Paul connects the resurrection to the degrees of glory. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. I suppose if we could count the stars, we would gain some idea of the variety of rewards. Christ, of course, lives in the third or highest heaven. Only those in who inherit the highest kingdom will live with Christ. Others may enjoy a portion of his light, but not a fullness of his glory. I can see that heaven would not be heaven if we were mismatched. In the resurrection and judgment, the spirit and body are perfectly matched in glory for maximum joy and happiness. In the resurrection, the glory of our body will reflect the light of the spirit we have and reveal the life we live and the laws we obeyed. In law is light. It explains what Paul meant when he said, And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. 
Only those who strive to live a Christ-like life according to the laws they have will be able to live with Christ, for only they will have the full light of Christ. Only those who reach the third heaven or highest glory will be glorified together with Christ. For some, the final judgment will be the last time they will see Christ. In fact, it may be the last time they want to see him. They will be much happier living with resurrected beings that match their own light and glory. Are you saying that those who live in lesser kingdoms are always going to be sad and disappointed? Not at all. Light and glory are light and glory. In all three kingdoms described by Paul, whether celestial glory or terrestrial glory, where the one shines like the sun, another like the moon, and another like the stars, it is still a kingdom of glory, and they will be unimaginably happy in their kingdoms. That is the true harmony of the spheres. They will be in perfect harmony with their environment forever, and former disappointments will never torment their minds. Every kingdom will have its own path of progression. There will be no idle angels. What did Paul mean when he said, And so it is written, The first man Adam was made a living soul. The last Adam was made a quickening spirit. Paul is speaking of the resurrection. The first man Adam was a living soul refers to his mortal creation. The Lord created Adam from the earth, and in his mortal body he placed his immortal spirit. Soul, of course, is both the body and the spirit. That is explained in Genesis. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. The second man, Adam, however, was a quickening spirit. To be quickened means to be resurrected. It refers to the resurrected Adam. What did he mean when he said, And as we have borne the image of the earthy, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. It goes back to the words of Paul, that we shall be glorified together. And of course, also to the words of Christ, then shall the righteous shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. King David sings, Who is the king of glory? The Lord of hosts, he is the king of glory. In the book of Revelation, John refers to Christ as Lord of lords and king of kings. Those who live with Christ will inherit mansions, kingdoms, and principalities. They too will be kings and queens, but Christ will remain king of kings and lord of lords. If that is true, then why does Paul say that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God? Neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. Paul answers the question for us. Please read the next verses. Behold, I will show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump. For the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The purpose of the resurrection is to reunite our immortal spirits with our newly acquired immortal bodies. Our bodies obviously undergo a tremendous change. You mean the resurrection? Only the physical body needs to be resurrected into an immortal state because the spirit is already immortal. After Christ's resurrection, he ate fish with the apostles. He has a physical body, but it is an immortal physical body. It will be the same with us. We will receive our body back but it will be an immortal body which will never taste of death again. 
It all certainly puts heaven in a different light. I suppose it is a no-brainer to say that all good Christians should aspire to the third heaven or the highest degree of glory. John the Revelator further describes the celestial glory in the final chapter of Revelation. Please read Revelation 22, 1-5. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the midst of the street of it, and on either side of the river, was there the tree of life, which bare twelve manners of fruit, and yielded her fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him, and they shall see his face, and his name shall be in their foreheads. And there shall be no night there, and they need no candle, neither light of the sun, for the Lord God giveth them light, and they shall reign for ever and ever. I love Paul's final words in First Corinthians 15. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Thank you for listening. Watch for our next podcast. In Defense of Christianity is available at RonaldMesser.com.